Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Intercessory prayer is a very special kind of prayer. You see, we usually pray because we're trying to influence God to do something for us. But intercessory prayer is different. This kind of prayer is when God instead influences us in our prayers. One of God's greatest desires is to interfere with evil in this world. And that's why he tells us to pray that we would be delivered from all evil. There are some key steps we need to to be aware of in order to use intercessory prayer to interfere and stop evil in this world. So listen and learn how to pray more powerfully by means of intercessory prayer. These steps to intercessory prayer that we're going to be looking at in 1 Kings 18 verses 41 through 46. Um, But first of all, What is intercessory prayer? What is it to pray as an intercessor? And prayer, the intercessory prayer, as I've learned from my dad, he said something two, I think two Sunday nights ago, that's really, really, really stuck with me. But intercessory prayer is when your prayers are influenced by God. Intercessory prayers is when your prayers are influenced by God. And I guarantee you, the majority of the time when you and I pray, we're trying to influence God. <laughs> we're trying to tell God what we want and how we want it and when we want it and why we want it and what we want. We give him the whole spiel. But intercessory prayer is when the tables are turned and he begins to influence our prayers. And that's the most powerful powerful prayer you can pray is a prayer that's from God's will to your will, and you will the same thing he wants. And the Bible says that this is the confidence that we have when we approach God, that if we pray anything according to his will, then we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, that we have the very thing that we're praying for. And that comes through intercessory prayer. In other words, when he's influencing our will instead of us, trying to influence his will, all right? And so um, that connection from God, you know, from God to us to a particular situation, we're usually trying to take the situation, us, and then up to God, and it's it's totally turned around with intercessory prayer. And so another point that I want to make just very quickly is intercessory prayer is an interference type of prayer. It gets in the way of the evil intentions of the enemy or of this world or of wickedness in this world. When you begin to pray in an intercessory fashion, you're interfering with addictions. You're interfering with suicidal tendencies. You're interfering with somebody maybe losing their job. You're interfering because God is saying, that's not my will that that person die from suicide. I'm going to put it on this person's heart to pray, and their prayers are going to interfere with those evil intentions. God wants to use each and every one of us in intercessory prayer. And so that's what I want to look at today, or what we want to look at today, is steps to intercessory prayer. So read with me in 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 46. I think we got it up here on the screen as well. It's a story about the prophet Elijah. And I won't go into all the backstory because there's a backstory to the backstory and then there's a backstory to that. So we just got to jump in somewhere (laughs) and we're going to jump in here. Elijah said to King Ahab, he said, go eat and drink 
for there is the sound of a heavy rain. I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Israel had had a famine for three years, all right? No food, no water. Things were really, really bad. People were dying. Animals were dying. There was no crops. There was no nothing. And so this prophet Elijah, he says to King Ahab, go eat and drink. And after three years, he says, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. Now, did Elijah hear the physical sound of a heavy rain? There's nothing more I like in El Paso than the sound of rain. I love it, man, on the roof, on the car. All right. Now, after, you know, weeks and weeks of rain, like we experienced at some point, you don't like the sound of rain anymore. But after you haven't had rain for three years, you like the sound of rain. And so he heard in his spirit, in his soul, the sound of rain because the rain hadn't come yet. But he heard it in his spirit. God reveals things to you. Have you ever had God reveal something to you that he wasn't visible? But he showed you. Maybe he gave you peace about something. Maybe he gave you comfort. Maybe he gave you some insight about something that was about to come. He heard the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one are you? Are you the guy that hears the good news and then goes off and takes it easy, takes a day off? Or are you like Elijah and do what he's about to do? All right. I want you to think about that. Which, which part do you tend to play? But Elijah, instead of going off to eat and drink, he climbed up the top of Carmel. Now, Carmel, Carmel or Carmel is a mountain, has a slow incline all the way up, and then it overlooks the the Mediterranean Sea. And it sounds to me like Elijah probably climbed up the hard way. (laughs) We don't know that for, for, for sure, but he climbs up to the top of Carmel, Bends down, instead of looking out at the beautiful Mediterranean, the blue waters, the, 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 you know, the beaches and whatnot, he bends down in a very odd fashion. He crouches down to the ground, puts his face between his knees. It's an interesting... The Bible is very specific, very graphic in how... You, you, when you read the Bible, you need to read every detail of the Bible because it's telling you something. And the Holy Spirit can come in as you're reading it and make it come alive to you. In fact, that's what needs to happen every time we read the Bible. And so he bends down to the ground, puts his face between his knees, and many, many scholars believe that that means he was crouched down. I won't, <laughs> I won't imitate it, but he crouched down and he, he puts his head between his knees like in, a, in a, almost like a ball fashion. It's the way, by the way, that women back then tended to give birth. All right, and there's there's some there's some interest there as well. So, verse forty three it says, "Go look towards the sea." He tells his servant. Now Elijah didn't go get up and go look. He said, "I'm going to intercede. I'm going to sit here and pray. You go look and you tell me what you see." And so his servant went up to where he could see the ocean, the sky there, and he looked and he came back to Elijah. And he says, "There's nothing there." <laughs> How many times has God promised you something and you look and there's nothing there? (laughs) Frustrating, (laughs) aggravating. I want to see it now. All right. Well, he did it again. He tells his servant, go, look. Servant comes back a second time. No good news, Elijah. He says, go, do it again. I'm sitting here and praying. Third time, fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time. And finally, after seven times, Elijah says, go back. And the seventh time, the servant reported, you know what? There's a cloud 
the, as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. It was enough to get this guy's attention. I actually see something here. You know, I'm, it's no longer just blue emptiness. There is something coming out of the ocean. I see a, a, a little cloud coming out, Elijah. I actually saw it. Now, I'm not big. There's some people, and it's fine with them. They're all about the numbers in the Bible. 12 means this, 7 means that, 3 means the other, blah, blah, blah. I do think there's some significance here, though. If you read throughout the Bible, that, 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 that number 7 seems to be a number of completeness. A guy dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and the seventh time he came up clean. And there's numerous other places where 777 shows up. Whatever the case is. You hang in there until God gives you an answer. You hang in there until God gives you an answer. All right, so the seventh time the, the servant reports this. So Elijah says, you servant, <laughs> you go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, stop eating, stop drinking, hitch it up, and go before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. Three years of famine, not a drop of water in three years. We in America have no idea what famine is like. We have no clue. But these guys have experienced it. People were dying. They were starving to death for lack of crops because of no water. And so anyways, the, the, the rain starts falling, and Ahab rode, rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on uh, Elijah, he tucks in his cloak into his belt, and he runs ahead of Ahab's chariots, ahead of his horses, on the way to Jezreel. So from this story, I want to share with you five steps that I see to intercessory prayer, and I think each of them are incredibly important. And I want to share with you what I've been learning both last week and this week as I've been interceding. I've been praying. Uh, I mentioned to you last week, my I got laid off from, from my work, and I still have... Uh, a job through December 23rd, but my work has diminished significantly. So I have a little bit more time. You know, I was working long hours. Now I'm spending a lot of time in prayer. Wouldn't you? <laughs> if you're in my position, wouldn't you be praying? Well, yeah, I'm praying and I'm spending longer times in prayer and it's rich. It's wonderful. God's really blessing me through this. And so here's the first step to intercessory prayer that I want to share with you. And it's first and foremost, and this is, man, a lesson that's really been hammered into me lately, is receive a promise from God. Receive a promise from God. All right? Uh, Elijah received this promise. He said, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. God gave Elijah a promise and Elijah needed to stand on that promise. Even though no one else could see it, he couldn't see it. He had had three years of, of dryness, and yet God was saying, I'm sending a rain. How long have you been waiting on your answered prayer? Have you been waiting a long time? Have you been waiting a year? Have you been waiting five years? Have you been waiting a decade? Maybe you've been waiting 20 years for something. If God gives you a promise, you stand on that promise regardless of what history tells you or what others tell you or what you see or what you don't see. You stand on the promise of God. All right, I'm getting a promise. It's twofold. God's going to provide us with a place to have church, and God's going to provide my family with a means of income. He's going to do it. I'm standing on that promise. 
Where did I get that promise? Did Steve just make that up in his little puny little brain? <laughs> no, Philippians 4.19 says, For my God will meet all your needs. I love that. My God. My God is going to supply all my needs. He's going to supply all your needs. How? Just a little bit? No, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Wow. What a promise. Now, throughout the week, the last several weeks, I've been on and off of that promise. <laughs> I'll stand on it, and then I'll think about the reality, and I'll step right off of it, and I'll fall flat on my face. All right? I've got to stand on the promise of God. You've got to stand on it. If you, don't, if you haven't directly received a promise from God, then get into the promises that the Bible offers you. The word of God offers you and stand on them. God has been teaching me, hey, don't, don't, just, don't just wait on a rhema word of God. A rhema word of God is where the Holy Spirit, this is, I'm not making up that word, by the way. It's a, it's a Greek word. I'm probably butchering it. But the rhema word of God is where the Holy Spirit, he speaks to your heart and, and you, you've heard from God. Well, you know what? Jesus was in the, the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. He couldn't hear a peep from his father. So he had to take the word of God and stand on the word of God. The written word of God is as good as the rhema word of God or the spoken word of God into your heart. The Bible is full of God's promises. Begin to stand on them. Now, going back to, uh, to Abraham, let's see just really quick. Oh, we're talking about Elijah, so not going back to Abraham. <laughs> if you remember, Abraham was told... Leave your family, leave your house. He's about 75 years old. Can, now picture this. How old are you? Can you imagine being retirement age and saying, hey, pick up and leave where you're going, and I want you to walk there, and I'm, I'm not even going to tell you where you're going, but you'll know it when you get there. 75 years old. Would you be willing to do that? I think, I think there's a lot of 35-year-olds that wouldn't be willing to do that. 25-year-olds. Now, the younger you get, the more adventurous you are. But Abraham was told to leave, and you know what? It was part of a prophetic purpose and process that God was telling him to go in. And the, the challenges that you're going through, the difficulties that you're going through, it's just part of God's overall plan for your life. You're going to get through those challenging times, and you're going to be a better person for it. You're going to be a better person for it. We're we, we, we have ant-sized vision. All we see is where we're at and that cliff that looks to be right in front of us. But you know what? God has the whole thing mapped out for us. Praise God. We're part of his, his overall prophetic, I, I don't know what to call it, but prophetic process and prophetic a purpose in our lives. And so let's just follow along. And God's going to take us to where we need to go. Now, look at this, this whole concept of God, about God's promises. This was so rich to me this week as I, I was in my journal just writing, scribbling this out. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I'm going to give you a scripture to, to support this in a second. But God's nature, what, what's the foundation of God's promises? It starts with God's nature. God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a caring and compassionate God. He's a God that has all the resources in the world, and he wants to give good things to you, his children. And so his nature, 
is demonstrated by God's names. I didn't say God's name, God's names. In the Bible, we find the names of God all over. And finally, at one point, God can't handle it. He says, you know what? I am. (laughs) I'm everything. So I'm just going to tell you, Moses, I am. And you put whatever blank beyond that or after that that you want and you need. Because if you need it, I've got it. And that's who I am. So God's names, his nature is then reflected by God's identity, his names. And then that his identity then triggers his promises. It's who he is that he would promise to heal you. It's who he is that he would promise to free you from those crazy thoughts that you're having. It's who he is uh, of of him who who wants to help you whenever you're having a hard time. It's who he is that he wants to provide for you when you don't have enough of whatever. That's who he is. Therefore, he makes his promises from his name, from his identity. And then God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't make empty promises. You know what? God fulfills his promises. He makes them happen. He brings them to pass. That's who God is. So let me just give you a real quick example from Abraham, as I'd promised. In, in Genesis 22, verses 7 through 8, so Abraham is, <laughs> is taking his son to, to give him to the Lord, to sacrifice him to the Lord. Crazy, crazy story. I won't go into it right now. But Isaac, his son, who's walking along with him, doesn't know what's going on. He speaks up, and he says to his father, he says, Father, and Abraham says, yes, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And, and Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb. See, Abraham, he didn't even need a promise because he knew who God was. Isn't that crazy? God's nature, his character, his nobility is all we need. It's all we need. Who God is is all we need. And that's what Abraham was saying here is, son, I know God's nature. <laughs> he always provides it's, it's going to happen. I don't even, I'm not even worried about it. And so the two of them walked on together. Now we jump up to, to verse 14. And I am reading for the, from this other translation that makes it so, so rich and poignant. But Abraham, uh, what, what happens is Abraham's about to sacrifice his son. An angel stops him. And Abraham looks over and there's a ram caught with his horns in the thicket. And he says, see, God provided he brings the, the ram for the sacrifice, and Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. Now, I just butchered that with my Texas accent. It's probably more like Yahweh-Yede or something like that. Okay, but Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The name of God, did you get that? The nature of God, the name of God, God will provide. Abraham had already seen it. He says, I know God. God always provides. I just know him. I know him personally. And then he got to know the name of God, which reflected his identity. And then it goes on. This is crazy. And, of course, so there's the promise as well. But look at this in the last sentence here. As it is said to this day, in the mount of God, it shall be seen. (laughs) There's the fulfillment of God's promise. Remember God's nature, his name, his promise, and his fulfillment. In the mount of God, it will be seen. It'll be tangible. It'll be something that a memory in your mind that you can always look back and say, God did it. God did it again. 
If he did it once, if he did it twice, if he did it three times, if he did it a hundred times, God is going to do it because it's his nature to do it. We stand on his promises. I don't think that you can effectively pray until you're standing on God's promises. And therefore, you can't pray until you know his promises, until you start knowing God. Read your Bible and you will begin to pray effectively. That's just the first step. Here's the second step. Find your safe refuge in God. And this one is what I've really been practicing these last couple of weeks, man. Find your safe refuge in God. And we find that that Elijah climbed up the mountain to Carmel to be safe, to get away from all the loud squawks and complaints and dangers and whatever. You and I, we need to find our safe place in God. We need to find our safe place in God. In Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2, I would say overquoted, but there's no way you can overquote the Bible. <laughs> but let's say it's highly quoted. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Have you ever gotten to the place where you just needed to hide? I've, I've hid under my pillow before. Have you ever done that before? I've hid in my closet before. Have you ever done that before? I've run to my car, jumped in, turned on the engine, and drove away from wherever away was. I've got to get away. My safe place. Well, the Bible says that God is the most high shelter for us. And if we will dwell there, if we'll live there, if we'll say, I'm staying here in this safe place, then I'm going to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. How do I know if I found my place of rescue, of safety? If I'm resting. I'm resting. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Oh, wow. Abraham, excuse me, uh, Elijah, I'm talking about Moses, Abraham, Elijah. I'm getting all tongue-tied here, all right? Elijah ran up. He scrambled up that Mount Carmel to find his safe place. And you and I, we need our safe place as well. Every single human being needs a place of safety. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Last night I had the opportunity of being at Annalisa's quinceañera, and, and Liz and Fletcher asked me to give a blessing to Annalisa. All right, so there for about 15, 10, 15 minutes, I just, she was sitting right, it was so cute. She's beautiful dress, beautiful girl, sitting right there in front of me. I didn't know they were going to put her, it was so funny. She was right there in front of me, and then all the guests were out behind them. And so I was just looking eye to eye with this pretty little girl, you know, and giving her blessings and blessings. This says, blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. You're going to have God just dump his blessings on you if you will take refuge refuge in him psalms or excuse me proverbs 18 10 it says the name of the lord is a fortified tower a strong tower a high tower the righteous run to it and are safe i run to the name of jesus because it's his nature i'm looking for it's his promises his fulfillment of his promises so i run to his name as a fortress as a fortified tower let me tell you what when you feel safe, you begin to relax in the Lord. Have you ever done that before? You find your place of safety, and I start feeling like a noodle, like I noodly, like I can't even hardly stand up. I feel so relaxed because I feel safe 
in the hand of God, in the fortress, in the refuge. And, and there, what I'm finding is I'm praying, he prepares for me a banqueting table. And I sit down. You need to use your imagination when you're praying, by the way. Use your 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 uh, sanctified imagination. There's plenty of bad imaginations. Why shouldn't you use your godly imagination to picture yourself sitting down in a safe place? He's prepared this beautiful table for you. He's given you food, beautiful banquet food, and you just start eating that spiritual food, and you're nourished, you're refreshed. And the Bible says he restores your soul. Wow. Restores your soul. And he does it in the presence of your enemies. In Psalms 23, it says, he prepares for me a table while all my enemies, I see these wolves just, um, the other night I heard, and it's pretty frequent, we're hearing coyotes, like fairly frequently in the middle of the night. And I'm thinking, oh man, I sure am liking these walls. (laughs) You sit there with these coyotes, these wolves all around you. And you say, I am safe. And he's prepared for me a banqueting table for me to be restored and renewed. And so I've told you oftentimes in the last several years about throwing yourself into the ocean of God's love. He loves you so much. It's a massive ocean. Why are you standing there on the seashore contemplating, does God love me? I'm, I'm too bad of a person, blah, blah, blah. Shut up and jump into God's love. And never come out again. Don't let someone on the seashore coax you out and say, hey, I have something better for you. Stay in God's love. Go deeper and deeper and deeper until you drown in it. That's one thing. But then there's the banqueting table of God's blessings. His blessings. Make God your refuge and you will start eating wonderful things, even in, and especially in times of trouble. You will deeply enjoy his spiritual his spiritual blessing. So let me read to you some scriptures that Sister Shelley shared on Wednesday night. Wow, I've been feeding on these. Psalms 31. And Sister Shelley, I was sitting right beside her. In fact, I was right here. If you don't come on Wednesday nights, you need to come on Wednesday nights. Wow, that's where we really, really get empowered and strengthened. But I was sitting by Sister Shelley, and she gave me her Bible. And she had highlighted all these rich scriptures in, in um, Psalms 31. Well, Sister Shelley, I went to my phone really quick because I use my phone for my Bible. And I went and quickly highlighted all those same scriptures. And I want to read some of those to you today about God being our refuge in you. And so it's Psalms 31, starting in verse 1. I'll jump around here a little bit. But in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Isn't that what you fear at the end of the day? Isn't isn't shame what you fear? He says, let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. See, there's that nature of God, the name of God. He guides you. He leads you. That's just his nature. He says, keep me free from the trap that has been set for me, for you are my refuge. Can I tell you something today? You can stop falling into the same trap over and over and over again. Make God your refuge, and you'll stop falling into the same traps that you fall into. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. 
I won't go into that one. That one's been speaking to me abundantly. Verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And I've been doing that. I've been saying, God, you're my God. You belong to me. I belong to you. You are my God. So many good things happen when you make that you make that the truth and not just an assertion. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies for those, from those who pursue me. See, God has the right times, seasons that you go through. There's a beginning and there's an ending to what you're going through. He wants you to come out of that desert. Praise God. And so in verse 16, it says, Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I have cried out to you. And I tell you what, last several last in this last several weeks, I've cried out to God, and within minutes, I get the peace of God that I'm looking for, the assurance that I needed, the comfort that I needed. Call out to God, cry out to God. It says, uh, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Find your, your safe place in the Lord. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. Oh, man, that one, that's a good verse, man. Have you ever been, you're getting barraged by stuff, by thoughts, by circumstances. You're like a city under siege, and it says here, you showed me the wonders of your love while I was in that place. Woo, man. So I believe generally that before you can pray in an intercessory fashion, you have to find your refuge in God. Don't run right into prayer and God, do this, do this, do this, do that, do the other. Oh, God, God, come on, do it, do it. Stop already. Find your refuge. Find your safety in God and let him begin to influence your prayers from there. So let's run into the next, the next step here. And this one is focus your attention exclusively on God. And boy, this is a tough one for human beings. Man, this is hard. But focus your attention exclusively on God. We see that Elijah put his face between his knees. What, why did he do that? Why do you close your eyes when you pray? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says you got to close your eyes? Every time you pray, you got to close your eyes and bow your head. No, it doesn't say that anywhere. We do that to get our attention off of what we can see and onto God, who the Bible says is in fact invisible. <laughs> It's hard to think on some something or someone who is invisible, but but this we see it was imperative that Elijah get his focus on the Lord, not on what the king might say if no rain came or not what Israel might do if no rain continued. He got his focus on the Lord. We have to, and this is what I've been telling myself, I have to refuse to think about two things. I'm going to refuse to think about fear or fearful thoughts, and I'm going to refuse to think about my own solutions. Because when you're trapped, you start thinking, okay, there's plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, blah, blah, blah. I've got it all covered, God. No worries. All right? I've got you covered. And God said, no, you don't. You stop coming up with your own solutions. You stop coming up with your own plans, and you listen to me. My character is to lead you through this, so follow me. All right. Do you see what I mean? We've got to stop trying to stop focusing on your plan and start focusing on God. Tough, tough to do. 
But if you haven't found refuge in him, you're not going to be able to think about God. It's going to be impossible. You've got to find your refuge in him first. Jesus is, and this was me in my journal this week. I was writing down all the things that Jesus is to me. He's my provider. He's my rewarder. He's my defender. He's my healer. He's my savior and rescuer. He's my guide. He's my advocate, my friend, my counselor. He's my wisdom, my answer. He's my Lord and master. He's my teacher. (laughs) He's my reminder. He's my judge. He's my peace. He's my faith. He's my truth. He is my plan and he is my future. (laughs) So why would I look at anything else? Why wouldn't I focus on him if he's all of those things? Apparently, I don't really think he's all of those things because then I start looking at other things thinking that I am to fill the gap where he's missing something. But that's just not the case. God doesn't have any gaps. (laughs) He doesn't have any empty spaces. He is all and all. So to focus on the Lord, remember from last week, I got to change. If I'm if I'm standing over here on worry, I'm standing in an attitude of worry. I can't control my worrisome thoughts. My thoughts are always going to be worried. But if I say, okay, with God's help, I'm going to step out of this worry, and I'm going to step onto faith in Jesus. You know what's going to happen? Faithful thoughts are going to start coming into my mind. All right? Faithful thoughts. If I'm over here and I'm an addictive person, so this is me, and I'm standing in my addiction, I'm going to have addictive thoughts over and over and over. I'm I'm going to be fighting them. No, I can can do this, God. No, you can't. You're standing in an addictive attitude here. So you step out of the addictive attitude, and you do this conscientiously or consciously, and you say, God, I'm going to step out of that addictive attitude, and I'm going to step into an attitude of freedom. Because Jesus says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You know what's happened? These thoughts are going to follow me. Freeing thoughts are going to follow me. And I'm going to find myself, I'm going to take a little bit of effort, but I'm going to be thinking free thoughts and no longer addictive thoughts. We learned that that last week. And so in order for me to focus on God, I've got to get into those spiritual attitudes so that I can, in fact, think on the Lord. Instead of being self-sufficient, I'm going to be God-dependent. Two different attitudes, worlds apart, but that's going to lead me to peace and rest. Instead of self-focused, I'm going to get into an attitude of love and compassion, and I'm going to be able to finally pray for people. Have you ever found yourself thinking, it's so hard to pray for people, you know? It's kind of like, it's almost impossible for me. A lot of times I'm thinking, it's hard for me to pray for people. I'm sorry. As a pastor, you might think, well, Steve, you're a lame person. But it's true. You have a hard time praying for people. But when you step out of an attitude of self-focus and into an attitude of of love and compassion, it's easy to pray for people. It comes naturally because you care, you love, you have empathy, you have sympathy. Out of a controlling attitude into a submissive attitude where you're guided by the Lord. Man, I've been struggling with that one. It's hard. Ask God for wisdom to understand what attitude you're standing in and why your thoughts are so haywire so that once you see that attitude, you can finally step out of it. But focused on God, focused on God, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, fixing our eyes, that is our attention on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And never forget this, about six or seven years ago, I was sitting on a flight. I was flying. I just gotten, walked down the little arm thing at the airport, sitting on, on a Southwest flight, 
And I felt the Lord tell me, start watching for me. Start paying attention to me. I want to do things, but your eyes are all over the place. Look at what I want to do. And from there, man, God started doing miracle after miracle after miracle. It was a a life-changing time for me. Fix your attention on God. Number four, now we finally, you see one, two, and three, and finally number four is that place of interceding, of interfering with evil in somebody's life. And here we see Elijah bent down to the ground, putting his face between his knees, knees in an intercessory position, saying, God, we've got to have you come through. Lord, influence me with your will so that I can pray according to your will. That's the the Lord's prayer. God, your will be done. (laughs) And you don't even have to know what the will of God is to pray that. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That's intercessory prayers, the influence of God coming into your prayers and you praying whatever God you want to do, you do it today. Influenced by heaven. And I've been finding as I spend more time, I'm finally getting to this fourth step. See, if you pray five minutes, you can't get through all of these four or five steps. It's not going to happen. You've got to spend a little bit more than five minutes. You might need to spend 15 minutes. You might need to spend 30 minutes. You might even need to spend an hour in prayer. Can you do that? If you'll get out of these attitudes and into those attitudes, you will. You'll be able to pray. My prayer times are going like that. They're going faster than I ever dreamed there would. I don't want them to be over with because I found my safe refuge. I don't want to get out of that place. I want to stay there. And I found through prayer that I can do it. Well, guess what? You can pray without ceasing. You can be in that place all day every day, out of these yucky attitudes, into those attitudes with godly thoughts flowing through your mind naturally, praise God. God wants you to get to to that place. But let's talk about intercession. As I'm praying, and I walk and pray, that's just the way I do things. I like to be outside. If I'm in a dark room, I'm going to go to sleep, so i got to be moving. Keeps, Keeps me stimulated, but interceding is praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Um, this is a full gospel Pentecostal church. It always will be. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you just like you did in Acts. You might say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. Of course he does. If he healed back then, he can heal today. If he saved back then, he can save today. If he delivered back then, he can deliver today. If he filled people with the Holy Spirit and baptized them with the evidence and speaking in other tongues, he can still do it today, and he wants to do it today. But let me tell you about praying in the Spirit. It's not always about speaking in tongues or looking for a weird uh, emotional experience. That, that's not what praying in the Spirit is. Praying in the Spirit is when you just start understanding what God wants and you want it with him. <laughs> like, God, I thought I was the only one that wanted my friend healed. But you want him healed too, God? That's awesome. Let's pray together that my friend is healed. It's when you realize God wants many of the same things you want. And you want them more because he wants them than just because you want them. But you're praying in the Spirit. He takes over the direction of your prayer and man, it's just, you're on for the ride. <laughs> He's in control. He's praying through you. The Spirit is praying through you. And it's the most wonderful, effective 
way of praying. See this lady at the park? She's got her, and, and I'm not saying anything about Catholicism, so hear me out, all right? But I hear on her phone she's got the rosary going, and she's praying. I can see her. She's keeping track with it. God has a unique, wonderful, personal way for you to pray. It's not repetition. It's heartfelt communication with God, communication flowing both ways. Whether you're Catholic, whether you're Protestant, whether you're whatever, we all can fall into the habit of just rote prayers and just, oh, I did it, I prayed. Any rote prayer is a bad prayer. <laughs> prayer needs to be about communion and connection with God and finding out what God wants and praying according to his will. So in Ephesians 6, 18, it says the prayer, he says to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And this is, I got this, this is so beautiful this week. I was reading Isaiah 41, 15, and when God starts showing you what your prayers do, it gets exciting. <laughs> You're like, my prayer is doing that, God? Are you kidding me? I want to pray more. And so in Isaiah 41, verses 15 through 16, it says, See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them. In other words, you'll pick them up with a big old pitchfork, throw it up into the wind, and the wind will pick the remains of that mountain It'll pick it up and a gale will blow it away. <laughs> and you will rejoice in the Lord and the glory of the Holy One of Israel. Wow. God wants to make your prayers a threshing sledge to the obstacles that keeps God from answering. Have you ever, have you ever blamed God before? God, why are you taking so long? Why did you let that happen? God, what were you thinking? You know how miserable I am right now. And God's saying, hold on a second. There's a mountain obstructing my answer to you, a glorious answer to you. Just like Daniel praying there 21 days, Daniel was interceding. He had a threshing sledge, and he was smashing that obstacle, that mountain, with the power of God until that wind came and blew that mountain away, and Daniel got an answer from heaven that's recorded in the Bible today. Don't blame God. Don't complain. Thresh the mountain that's keeping the answer from coming through intercessory prayer and God is going to, as it says in Mark eleven twenty two and 23, he says, you can speak to that mountain and it'll pick up and be thrown into the sea. Now we know what it looks like. I always picture it as like the big old mountain picks up. No, I'm going to thresh that mountain into pulverize it. And God is going to blow and just take that obstacle out of my way. Praise God. Well, we'll end with this. And this is the fifth one is, is intercessory prayer expects an answer expects an answer there was there was elijah he said go and look towards the sea and then he told him seven times more go and look towards the sea elijah was expecting an answer from god because he had been promised something from god and as as prayer warriors as people of god as men and women of god we should be expecting god to come through every single time and that makes your prayer so much more fun, so much more wonderful, so much more effective because you know God is listening to you. Expect that God will give his answer. Now, here's the problem. We come up with this whole scenario 
of how God is going to do it and when God is going to do it. And when God doesn't do it exactly like we expected, we think we didn't get an answer from God. We need to come with a clean slate. God, answer the way you want to answer, Lord Jesus. Answer the way that you want to answer, but I am expecting you to answer. His answers are always positive and powerful, and we need to get rid of our preconceived ideas.